Thanks for listening to Summit PA Sermon Audio, weekly teaching from the Summit Church in Indiana, Pennsylvania. SummitPA.church, every life made different. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Leadership Night here at Summit Church. It's good to see you guys here in the room. For those of you that are watching online, thanks for joining us. We've got people watching from uh, different platforms, I'm sure. And uh, some of you are going to watch this later on, and that's okay, too. Uh, However you're joining us tonight, we are grateful that you have taken time to grow your leadership. And so uh, that's what we're going to do this evening is just just hopefully grow your leadership, Um, talk about some principles, and uh, hopefully apply those. Um, if, uh, if you are new to this, my name is Mel Massengale. I'm one of the pastors at Summit Church. And what we do with Leadership Night is simply to talk through leadership together and, and try to grow that. Um, so we will take sometimes biblical principles, but we apply them in practical everyday ways. And uh, so I'm not preaching a sermon or a message, but I just want to help you guys grow. And uh, we're going to dialogue and talk. And uh, we're always the first Wednesday of every month, so... Make sure, mark your calendar, we'll start back uh, on a regular schedule now, and we'll carry this through till, uh, till May, and then we'll take the summer off 2022, um, which feels like a long way away, but it's not. Um, so yeah, uh, next month, the following month, we've got a guest that's going to be joining us, and uh, I'm excited about that. So we're going to bring in some high-level leaders. Uh, we'll do some different things from time to time. Tonight, we're doing some things a little differently. Because those of you that are here, you know normally we would do about 25 minutes of like teaching, and then we'll do like 35 minutes of Q&A stuff at the end. And so tonight, I think what we're going to do is, is we're going to kind of mix those things together. We're going to talk about some principles and then kind of unpack those and apply those together and then kind of move through them. So that's what we're going to do this evening. It looks a little different. So those of you that are watching online, if you're watching this live, you can uh, let us know what your questions are, but it would be really helpful for us if you could log on to our church online platform to do that. It's live.summitpa.church. If you'll log on there and ask the questions, that would be simplest for us. And so, uh, so please help us with that if you can. And uh, we've got somebody monitoring that, and uh, we'll get the questions going and get those answered. Um, before we jump in, let me pray, and then uh, we'll start with the uh, teaching for the evening. God, thanks for what you're doing. Thanks for all you've done. And I pray your blessing on our time together this evening. I pray that it would be fruitful. I pray that our leadership insight would grow, but God, I pray that our leadership application would grow as well, that we wouldn't just have a head knowledge, but God, we would apply what we learn to help us become better leaders and and, uh, better bosses, better team leaders, whatever it might be, better dads, moms. God, help us to apply these principles so that that we we can win in different areas of our life. So have your way with us tonight. Be glorified in our time together in your name. Amen. Uh, For those of you in the room, how many of you guys know who Jack Welch is? Okay, leadership guru. Um, He was the CEO of General Electric from 1981 to 2001, and he's written a number of different books, and he is hailed by many business leaders as uh, one of the one of the transformational thinkers when it comes to uh, leadership, especially in the business world. And Jack Welch was known as um, like Neutron Jack uh, because he was so high energy and so uh, so impactful. Um, during his tenure, uh, GE's company value rose 4,000% while he was there. So that's a big deal. Um, and he created a lot of value for his organization, um, and he really instituted some leadership uh, principles that helped them grow and help them get to where he was before he left. And so what we're going to do is we're going to talk through his, these are kind of his six rules for leaders. We're going to talk through them tonight. These aren't unique. I didn't make these up. Uh, you can find different commentaries on these, lots of places on the interwebs. And so if you want to look a little further into these, feel free. Uh, I think he's actually got a book on these six principles that you could check out as well. But we're just going to talk through these tonight and just dialogue back and forth a little bit. And those of you that are watching online, feel free um, to uh, let us know your question, your comments. We'd love to hear about that as well. And you can jump in at any time. So we'll talk through these. And like I said, there's not a set Q&A time. So if you've got a question or a comment, just raise your hand. And let's, let's have a conversation. So uh, six rules for leaders from Jack Welch. Number one is this, 
And he says, control your destiny or someone else will. Control your destiny or someone else will. Um, uh, we live in a culture that, um, I'm going to try not to get political with this statement, but we live in a culture that we seem to highly value victimhood. That, well, I'm a victim of my circumstance, of my situations, I can't overcome the place I'm at. And one of the things that Jack Welch talks pretty extensively about is just owning your destiny. That, hey, I'm going to decide what's going to happen. I'm going to move forward. We're going to figure this out. Um, And I'm not going to be a victim. And um, I kind of struggled with this one a little bit because in some ways, uh, when when we apply Christian thought to this, we go, well, hey, this seems contradictory because... Uh, we don't control our destiny. God controls our destiny. But I think in terms of, if we can divorce ourselves from that a little bit, I think it's easy for us to go, okay, yeah, we get to determine. Uh, I've got free will. I've got my own agency that I can, I can choose what's next and I can choose to advance and move forward. I, I can have discipline to, uh, to better myself in certain ways it might be. Um, but, but Jack Welch says, control your destiny or someone else will. Um, and I've seen over and over and over people in the business world who have maybe gotten pigeonholed in a position or in a job or in a title. They didn't want it, but they felt like, well, this is just my lot in life. This is where I'm at. And, and what they found is that someone else has controlled their destiny in some ways. And so, um, I'd love to hear your feedback. What do you guys think about this idea, this principle, control your destiny or someone else will? Um, does anybody have any thoughts on that? Any feedback, questions about it? Maybe you, you want to you posit a different thought in regards to that? I, I kind of agree with you, Mel, in the sense of, you know, recognizing that God reigns and that we mm-hmm. really don't control everything. Right. But with that caveat in mind, I've often thought when it comes to ministry organizations, if leadership is not active somebody will rise to the place of control. Yeah. Uh, If there is not active leadership in place, somebody will try to control what's going on. And so, uh, and it's obviously not just ministry. That's, that's my, you know, uh, paradigm. But if there isn't active leadership, it creates a vacuum and somebody's going to go in and do something with it. And it's not always to the best interest of the organization. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with that. What else? Control your destiny or someone else will. I like that idea of active leadership. Because I think some people think because someone's in a role of leader or has the title of leader that there is leadership, but that's not always the right assumption to make. Somebody might not be actively leading, so that's a, that's a good... Yeah. Um, maybe for... Bob has another thought. Just one other thought with this, but I think, you know, for me, what's uniquely Christian is when we are leading, we are not controlling. We are inviting God's kingdom to bear in a situation. And so Christian leadership is different uh, in my mind because you're not trying to control it. You're yielding so that God can work. But so there's a fine line between actively leading and trying to make it be what I want it to be. Yeah, and uh, it's almost as if you've read these already because there's a, another principle that's further down the list that talks about that a little more. We can unpack that idea a little bit. That's good. What were you going to say, Michael? Did you have... Uh, yeah, so my question is mostly for uh, more Christian leaders. Like, what would, what would they do in a situation where they have, say, two or three different options in front of them, all of which could be God's will? And they need to make a decision in that moment and depart from two in order to follow one, et cetera. Like, what does that look like? Yeah. It uh, sounds like you're trying to figure out if you're supposed to leave our staff or not. And the answer is no, you're not. So um, so here's the thing. The very spiritual answer is to pray about it and God will show you. But um, I really do believe if you are a Christian, you're following God, um, that that sometimes we really have to travail in prayer to discern God's will. But I think sometimes we make that stuff way too hard. And I think a lot of times 
what we might call a gut feeling is it's actually the Holy Spirit giving us direction. And whether it's in regards to a, a spiritual matter or not, um, I, think, I think a lot of times if we are, if we are um, pursuing Christ, we are discovering the will of God in our life w- without sometimes actively going, I need your will in this situation, if that makes sense. So I think sometimes we overthink it and we go, well, hey, these are all equally good. God, which one would you have me do? And in the absence of a big neon sign, I think a lot of times we can go, okay, what do I know about who God is? What do I know that he knows about who I am? Okay, that's where it's gonna lead me, if that makes sense. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, something. somebody over here, did you have something, somebody? Did you have something from online? Okay. Um, I had somebody tell me one time that, uh, that I was praying about God's will about something and somebody said, um, well, hey, here's the thing. Um, what is in your heart? Because God made you and, uh, you know, taking away sinful desi- sinful decisions. He said, God made you and so, Sometimes we can pray for God's will, but sometimes we can follow our heart. We can go, hey, I know how God wired me and designed me, and this makes a lot of sense, that this is more how I'm wired and designed and that kind of thing. And again, I don't want to divorce ourselves from asking God to give us direction, but at the same time, I think we get paralyzed. We don't move forward because we're waiting on the neon sign. Um, So we kind of departed a little bit from this idea a little bit, but control your destiny or someone else will. Anybody else have a thought on that? Okay. Number two, I like this one. Face reality as it is, not as it was, or as you wish it to be. Face reality as it is, not as it was, not as you wish it to be. Um, So this is an idea about facing reality objectively, uh, not through an, a subjective lens, if you can help it, and then acting decisively. So it's not just about understanding what's going on, but it's about doing something about what's going on. Um, and this is, this is one of the biggest mistakes I think leaders make is that um, we, we get into a place of denial about how things are. Um, sometimes, sometimes we're in denial about how good things are. I've known some leaders like that, but typically we are in denial about how bad things are. We can't see the reality. We can't see that this is falling apart or this is an issue, and, uh, and it causes us to have this gigantic blind spot that will uh, cause us to have a, a competitive disadvantage in the marketplace. Um, and, and I think there are a number of reasons why we are reluctant to face reality as it is, um, but I'd love to hear some feedback from you guys and see what you think about this idea that we face reality as it is, not as it was or as you wish it to be. I think maybe one way of doing this effectively is not allowing yourself to get into a comfort zone uh, for too long because if you're thinking about wanting to have things go back to the way that they were, that might be because the way that they were happened to line up really well with the way that you served in your comfort zone. And so you want to be comfortable. And so you want to go back to the way things were. So I think about like church before COVID-19 is a good example. There's probably a lot of pastors who wish that things could just go back to before that happened because that was where they were comfortable. And that could translate to any kind of uh, leadership. And even in the business world, like with movie theaters or, you know, pre-streaming, that sort of thing. Just uh, what if we intentionally pushed ourselves out of our comfort zone, almost on like a annual rotation to try to see, you know, to keep ourselves as ready for anything as possible. Yeah. Well, we've talked in past leadership nights some about, you know, and we'll get to this idea again in a minute, but this idea about um, companies that were unwilling to see that the marketplace had changed and they just doubled down on their original strategies and how dangerous that is. And I think it's true um, as an organization, but I think it's also true for individual leaders that we have to adapt and change and shift. And if I'm unwilling to, to see 
what the reality is for me, if I can't see, oh, hey, my performance in this area stinks, um, then I'm going to be in trouble because I'm going to be blindsided when my boss tells me, hey, your performance in that area stinks and we're going to have to let you go. Um, so organizationally, but individually too, it's really important for us to, to, have, to eliminate the blind spots. So let me, let me ask you guys this. What are some ways we do this, practical ways that we can say, hey, I'm going to eliminate the blind spots. I'm going to face reality as it is, not as it was and not as I wish it to be. What are some practical ways we can do that? There you go. I think a lot of the times it's just asking for feedback. Um, especially when you're in a workplace where things are just urgent, you just keep moving on to the next thing, but actually asking for feedback, even from someone you might not want feedback to come from. That's, that's good. I'm glad you added that part on. <laughs> because we like asking for feedback from people who won't give us honest feedback. I love it when I can ask my mom, what do you think about my message? And my mom's like, baby, that was so good. I'm like, thank you, mama. I appreciate that. That's not honest. I mean, it's honest, but it's not true. Does that make sense? Um, so yeah, it's, it's not just about asking for feedback, but asking the right people for feedback. Yeah, Christy. What do you mean looking at the numbers? Like, um, I'm just thinking f for my business in particular, last year was better than this year. And mm -hmm. so when we're talking about like the upcoming holiday season, we're talking about how great last year was. But if we're comparing our numbers from last spring to this spring, then, mm -hmm. you know, the numbers are down. So having the right projections for the upcoming season. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, in industry, in, in the business world, especially in sales organizations, it's pretty easy to look at numbers and if, if what you are measuring is sales and that's what most is most important to your organization, then it's pretty easy to, to boil everything down to that and go, here is our objective number. We are better than we were. Or here is objectively that we are worse than we were. Um, and we could get into a different conversation pretty easily, but what about some of your organizations, it's not sales that you're doing necessarily. So what do what some of you guys do instead of just sheer numbers? How are you having this kind of conversation that you're facing reality as it is, not as you, it was or as you wish it to be? I think understanding the market as which your market target place if it is individuals, what is the need they have at that point that you need to meet? It's not what you have to offer, mm -hmm. but what you want, their need that you need to meet. Yeah. 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 Looking at the need. Aaron, did you have something? Sorry, Todd, I intercepted you. Yeah, I, I think one of the things we spend a lot of time doing is trying to compare data to story because mm -hmm. it's... It's odd how people remember things and how they remember an event and what happened and sto the story can yep. get skewed. So you have to look at the data and see, does do the numbers match the story? And then other times you have the reverse problem is that you have really bad numbers, but you don't you don't know that unless you ask for the story to realize, oh, the, the figures I'm coming up with really don't match the story. So I think... You have to cover both of those of, yeah. you know, like what's the, what's the human perspective and then what's the information saying? Yeah. Yeah, I think that's good. And I think, um, and not to contradict what Christy said at all, because I think numbers are really telling, but like we've seen a number of instances in Wall Street, like and the most obvious one that I'm thinking about is like Enron. Their numbers looked great, but they were cooking the books, right? It was all a shell game. And so they could, they lulled themselves into this false sense of security going, oh, we're awesome. But the whole time their, their debt was going up and up and up. And I think they're high. At one point they, they were like 70 billion in the hole. It's like, that's, that's hard to dig out of that. No matter how good a quarter you have. Right. And so they fooled themselves because they were looking purely at the numbers. So that's good. That's good insight. I was just going to say, you know, be, be holistic in your approach. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, it's easy to look at one thing if you're being really successful in that area and ignore something where maybe there's a pain point. Yeah. And then you tell yourself a, a false story. So like to go back to the kind of sales thing, maybe your new customer numbers are 
great. Like you're killing it on the new customers, but you're bleeding customers out the back door because your customer service and retention is no good. And so the whole, you're not looking at the whole story. And so I think, uh, the more we can force ourselves to look at the whole story, the better off we are. If, if you're in an organization that's not good at that, can you do that if you are in middle management somewhere? I don't have a, a set answer. I'm just asking if you guys have a thought on that. Yeah, say that again. It just depends on the organization. Yeah. Uh, some cultures look down on that. Um, yeah. You know, a growth growth mindset in an organization would encourage that, though. Yeah. Any more thoughts on this principle? Yeah. Travis online just said that it is a tough one because sometimes reality is perceived as negative thinking and counterproductive. I am often seen as negative in that way. Travis online. Yeah, that's good. Uh, it's hard being the dissenting voice because people think the dissenting voice is someone who is not a team player or uh, they, they're, they're not on board or, you know, but a lot of times somebody who's a dissenting voice is not trying to crash things. They're trying to keep, keep everything on the rails. Um, and so it's important for leaders to be secure enough for people on their team to be able to come and go, hey, there might be a blind spot that you're missing. Uh, but unfortunately, a lot of times we want accountability to come from the top down. And so if accountability comes from the bottom up, we immediately get defensive. Uh, so when somebody calls us out, but yeah. So Travis online, you're exactly right. That's hard. Um, and some organizations, like Sean said, some organizations will highly value the dissenting voice to some degree and say, yeah, we encourage that because they do want to grow and they do want to see their blind spots, but some don't. And so that's a fit issue sometimes. Uh, kind of just to piggyback off of what Travis said, do you Travis see online? Travis online? <laughs> Travis. <laughs> uh, so, do you see a conflict between seeing reality as it is, a conflict between that and casting a vision? Because it seems to me that a vision is inherently a a version of reality which hasn't come about yet, but yep. which you wish to usher in from the you know into the future. Um, how would you navigate that? conflict so that you don't end up kind of just being negative. Okay. So I think the line between, uh, the line between vision and delusion is very thin at times. Um, and I think the difference might be understanding where you're starting from, if that makes sense. So I think the delusion is, Hey, this is who we are and and we don't have any issues. And the vision part is, Hey, this is where we want to go. And, and here's the pathway to get there, if that makes sense. Um, and it's hard because I think any leader, if we're not careful, we're one bad decision away from delusion instead of vision. Um, but I think vision has to start with, this is where we're at, um, because no matter what the objective is, if you don't know where you are, it's impossible to get to the objective. Does that make sense? So I think, I think in order for a vision to actually be a vision, you have to have a realistic idea of where you are right now, like, like he was saying, as it is, not as you wish it to be. So anybody else have a thought on that? It's a good question. And I think this is one of the problems, we see it in big organizations too, but especially in small organizations, they might have a, a vision that they go, hey, here's, here's where we wanna be but they're never honest about where they are. So it's impossible to get to where they want to be because, and so they don't, can't put plans in place because they're not honest about where they are. Yeah. I've heard Elon Musk talk about, uh, Wait, the, who's that? Elon Musk. Never heard of him. Go ahead. Okay. Uh, <laughs> he talked about the importance of knowing when to let go of something that you're passionate about. And, so I'm interested in your comments on that. I guess it depends on what you're trying to do. If you're trying to sell it, then it would be obvious, you know, knowing when to let it go. If it's not selling or if the market doesn't demand for it, then you probably should be trying to sell something different. But is it just purely subjective, uh, knowing when to let go of a passion or, or like, do you, are there certain markers you should look for? Um, that's a good question. Anybody have any thoughts on that? It's 
probably different when you're the CEO too, but yeah. Go ahead, Aaron. I feel like I remember from like different principles on organizing your life, like you have to put the big things in first. Mm -hmm. So if you're, if your passion is crowding out your other goals that are more important to you, then there's probably a, a problem with that, that yeah. need to put things in first that are bigger and more important and then use whatever time and energy and space is left for what you have. So maybe that might give a clue to whether that fits or not. Well, and this is probably not a very popular thing to say. Like our passions are overrated a lot of times. And we hear a lot of people talk about doing things you're passionate about, but a lot of leadership is doing things you're not passionate about uh, in order to do the things that you want to accomplish or get done. And so, because I think there are a lot of people who do things they're passionate about that aren't making any difference in the world they're living in. Um, and so I, I think passion and vision many times are unrelated. Uh, it's better if you're passionate about the vision you know, for your organization or for your life or whatever. But I, I, I don't know. I think sometimes they're, they, they're unrelated, but, uh, but we relate them. <laughs> you know, we go, well, this is what I must be doing with my life because this is what I'm passionate about. It's like, no, you might just like baseball cards. It might not mean you need to be a professional baseball card dealer or, you know, whatever it might be. I don't know. Yeah, I think your passions are overrated, to be honest, though. I mean, Scripture, I'm not preaching, but Scripture says our heart lies to us. And that's what our passions do. They lie to us. So, yeah. Question. Yes, I have a question. Is there a room, if you are where you are at at this moment, mm -hmm. looking at your goal or the vision, for you to change your objectives depending on the circumstances, or you have to follow the objective you set from the word go to follow through to your goal? That's a good question. Um, I think it depends on, I mean, in, in, in a church setting, in a spiritual setting, I would say if God has put something in your heart, you pursue that at, almost at any cost, you know? I mean, not at the cost of your family or your relationship with Christ, but I think we have to be singularly, singularly focused on that. Um, in, in the broader sense, in the very specific sense, you know, there's somebody like Michael that I think about who Michael came to our church and he was not interested in being a production director. He didn't sit down with me and say, how could I be the production director for Summit Church? He said, what does Summit Church need? Because I, I want to be at this church on staff. So what does Summit Church need? And we needed a production director. And he, the circumstances changed, but it ultimately got him to where he wanted to be on, on our team. Does that make sense? And so I think in the broad sense, we, we go, hey, I'm singularly focused. If God calls me to it, I'm going to do it, no matter what. And I'm going to be ironclad in the circumstance. We're going to do this. This is what it's going to look like. But I think you've got to hold on to a lot of that stuff loosely um, in, order to, in order to actually achieve the, the goal, get the win, whatever it might be. That was a non-answer answer, I think. I think that sometimes... Uh people confuse playing a strategic long game for just having like blind grit and perseverance. Uh -huh. And I think that some of the people who play a strategic long game also have grit and perseverance. And yep. so grit and perseverance become like the buzzwords for success. Mm -hmm. Whereas like, uh, you know, if you're, say you have a dream of doing X thing, but you have to do Y and Z in order to get there and you have to build the network, you have to build the connections, the relationships, all of that, uh, that means walking through areas you think you might not have needed to go in order to get to the end point. And that requires both grit and perseverance, but it also requires thinking in long-term strategy. Yeah, that's good. Okay, let me get to number three, because we're halfway through and I'm not halfway done with my list. Number three, be candid with everyone. Um, and and we, we talked about this a little bit with our last statement about facing reality as, as it is. It's hard to be honest with ourselves, but it's even harder to be honest with the people around us sometimes. Um, we hate not being liked, and so we hate telling the truth. 
And here's the thing. One of the things we've talked about as a staff is we want to be honest to the last 10%. Because it's easy to be 90% honest with somebody. Um, but people don't need you to be 90% honest. They need you to be 100% honest. And that doesn't mean you're a jerk about it. It just means you, you need to speak truth with grace and love as much as possible. Um, and so it's that last 10% that is so hard um, that, that, okay, I'll tell you this, but I don't want to have to tell you this, that we have to grit our teeth sometimes and share the truth. But how is this, a, how is this valuable in relationships and maybe specifically in the workplace to be candid with everyone? It builds trust. Mm-hmm. If people know that they can take you at your word and that you're not sort of polishing the stories or kind of manipulating the facts to get them to do something, they, mm-hmm. they, it builds trust, which is really important to achieving other goals. Yeah. Yeah, I think sometimes we trade the, the, short, the long term for the short term. Like, yes, it's going to build trust, but it might hurt their feelings in the short term, so I'm not going to be 100% honest. Yeah. Christy. I mean, this is like the probably the hardest part for me of being a leader is being honest because the people I'm working with are sort of volunteering to be where they're at in a sense. Yeah. And so I don't want to make anyone just say, well, forget it. I'll leave. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I would love practical tips on how you do this. Like, yeah. how do you, yeah, I just don't, I don't know how to be, I don't want to hurt anyone's feelings. I work with women and... <laughs> Just are you implying that women's feelings are hurt no, more easily? No, no, that men? is not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, anybody have any practical feedback on how to do this in a non-abusive way? Uh, so one strategy kind of comes out of coaching, youth sports, different things like that. Um, you need to make sure you build the relationship ahead, ahead of time before you need to comment uh, you know, critici- criticizing them, yeah. those types of things. So you got to actively work to find people doing the right thing mm-hmm. um, and support them, um, coach them, manage them in a positive way. So then when you got to have that tough conversation because they're always showing up late or trying to get out of there a little early or whatever it is, they, t- it's, they know that it's coming from a place of love and support, mm-hmm. not just harsh management. Yeah, we, and I don't remember, some of you that have been to a bunch of these might remember uh, early on, 2019 sometime, we did a a leadership night on hard conversations, and I don't remember the date. Um, We'll put it in the comments later, I'll find it and put it in the comments later, but yeah, we did a whole evening on like how to have hard conversations, and we kind of unpacked the stuff, and it's, it's never easy. After that, it's, it was my fault then. It wasn't your fault. So No, I'm t- I take that back. That's not me being honest with you. It was your fault. I gave you great information, and you didn't apply it. That's right. Um, yeah, I think what Sean said is exactly right. I think you have to build the relationship up front. They have to know that you care about them. But, um, but what I've seen is some people, no matter how much you do that, they're still going to think you're a jerk. They're still going to think that you're out to get them. And there's nothing you can do about that. Um, and our church is not a business at all. But if I worry about what every single person thinks and has to say, and I, and I give them 90% of the truth, then it's gonna hurt the organization, ultimately. And my, respons- my greater responsibility is to the organization, not to the specific individual, if that makes sense. So same thing with your, with your team, your responsibilities to the greater organization, not just to the individual. So I think if we can remind ourselves of that, it makes it a little easier to go, okay, I'm going to be honest and I'm, I'm going to try my best not to be a jerk about this, you know, but practically, you know, we've talked in the past about crap sandwiches where it's like, here's all the things you're doing really well. Here's some of the things you're not doing well, but I love you and I'm grateful for you. And man, I appreciate your faithfulness and you are, you know, you're, you're on every call we do and I know you're grinding, you're working, you're making contacts, whatever it is. I mean, I think that's in a simple, practical way, that's a good way to do it. But anybody else? Bob? I think another idea is to just lay it out there that this is the environment that we're trying to create, you yeah. know, 
we want to do the very best that we can, and so I want an environment where we're free to give feedback, receive constructive feedback, and I think the leader sets the tone. Absolutely. You know, and saying, hey, if there is anything that I'm doing that you think could be improved upon or whatever, you know, I'm open to you bringing it up as long as it's done in a loving way. Mm -hmm. And I ask the same courtesy that I can do that with you. So I, I think you help set the stage by bringing it out into the open, reminding everybody of the goals, why you're there, what you're trying to accomplish, and putting it in line with that rather than just saying, hey, you need to get better at what you're doing. 100%. Because that, that takes away the, the isolation. Correction isolates hey, you're, you're doing a bad job, that makes you feel like I'm the only one. No, everybody else is good, you're bad. But when you can bring them in and go, hey, I wanna be corrected too. You know, now it's not just about you, it's about we. I think that does help. That's great insight, Bob. Okay, be candid with everyone. Number four, and this is one we uh, mentioned earlier, don't manage, lead. So, from your perspective, what's the difference between a manager and a leader? Anybody want to share some feedback about that? Or maybe we take these one by one. Let's describe a manager. What are some attributes of a manager? Someone who reacts. Okay, reactionary. Okay, what else? I know you've got some of these in your mind because right now you're thinking, I've had managers and I've had leaders. And you don't have to name names, but... They're results-oriented, not relationship-oriented. Okay, that's really good. What else? Attributes of a manager. I'm sorry? Maintain the status quo. Yeah, maintain status quo, that's good. Hover? Hover, like they're just all, they're like hover or just like ever-present, like micromanaging kind yeah, yeah. of thing, like. Yeah, for sure. What about someone who's not very well invested in the organization? Like, it doesn't mean that much to them. They're just there. And they're, they're kind of doing the things that they need to do, but they don't, they don't love the organization. I would probably say that that could be the case. I wouldn't say it's, it's the rule necessarily. Because I think a lot of times managers want the best for the organization, and they think what is the best is the status quo. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so it's not that they're trying to upend anything or, or hurt something, but they are hurting it by not seeing the change that needs to happen. Does that make sense? Yeah. Managers give instructions and uh, supervise, whereas are we comparing or just talking managers? Yeah, you can go ahead. Take us there. Leaders lead by doing and teaching others what to do. So you said managers give instructions and supervise? Yeah. And then leaders do, and what was the second part of that one? Teach others what to Teach do. Teach others. Yeah, I like that. Okay, what are some attributes of leaders since Yusuf took us there? Uh, leaders empower others to make decisions. Yeah. On what Todd said, it, it's don't give your subordinates or the people under you the tools they need need it to a to b how you do it doesn't matter this is where we got to go and yeah. allow them the freedom to do that yeah so leaders cast direction or vision or mm -hmm. both yeah um and we've kind of alluded to this i think managers sometimes are more focused on the immediate and this kind of goes back to what you were saying. I think a lot of times leaders are more focused on what's on the horizon. I think that's what separates a leader from a manager sometimes. I think a good difference is that managers administer the, uh, the structure that's already there and leaders author it. Yeah, I like the way you put that. Um, how about the way we view problems, I think managers sometimes view problems as just something to solve as quickly as possible. I think a lot of times leaders look at problems as opportunities for development or change or growth. What else?
We kind of talked about this a little bit too. Managers think about execution. Leaders think about ideas. Um, they're, they're less worried about what is actually happening in the moment, and they're more concerned about where are we going. And that's kind of what you said, Mark. Um, literally today, I had somebody sitting on my couch with me who is stepping into a leadership role, and um, they said, what would you tell me as somebody who's leading other people? And I said, give them the framework and let them paint whatever picture they want. And I said, don't give them the paint by numbers where they, you say, here's where the, num- the, pic- the, the colors go. And I said, let them paint whatever picture they want as long as it's within your framework. You know, tell them where you want to go and then let them get there however they need to, as long as it fits within your culture and your vision. And, you know, and because I would much rather give somebody too much space than not enough space. I would rather undermanage somebody than overmanage somebody. Because um, I have heard, especially when I was, Years ago when I was working with job seekers and, and, uh, and hiring managers, occasionally I would hear somebody say, I'm leaving my job because I felt like I didn't have enough direction. I did hear that from time to time. But probably 50 to 1, I heard people saying, my manager didn't trust me. I was overmanaged. You know, they were constantly micromanaging me. People hate that. And that's a good way to lose good, good people is to overmanage them. Anything else on that? Don't manage lead? Good leaders work on the business, not in the business. Yeah. They're being the proactive and not the retro or reactive like you were saying. Yeah. Look at everything going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's good. On versus in. Yeah. So Travis online. It's actually Travis Travis Williams, Williams Travis online. <laughs> He said leaders know how to get the best out of everybody on their team or group. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, and it's, and I think this might be the difference between a leader and a manager. Sometimes I think um, it's work to do that. It's hard to, it's way easier to make your team adjust to you than it is for you to adjust to your team. And so I think sometimes there's a manager who could be a leader. They just don't want to. They just don't want to have to do that kind of stuff, like do the work to go, okay, here's how I'm going to lead uh, this specific person. Uh, And I've told this story, I think, in leadership night before, but my high school basketball coach, um, his name was Brett Close, and Brett was fantastic because he would, um, (laughs) this is going to sound funny to say it this way, he would literally cuss a kid out when he was coaching them. And then for other kids, he would pull them aside and go, hey, this is what you need to work on. Because he knew that this kid is only going to respond if I cuss him out in front of everybody. And this kid is only going to respond if I pull him aside. And so he understood the value of different approaches for different people. And uh, so that's why sometimes I cuss out some of my staff. (laughs) They just, that's what they respond to. No, but that's where, that's the value of seeing the individual team members and, 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 uh, and leading them the way that gets the best response. All right, let me move on. And we can circle back to some of these two at the end. Uh, number five, change before you have to. And this kind of goes back to that previous one, uh, seeing reality as it is, uh, but change before you have to. And, and <clears throat> the death knell for any business or organization is when you stop valuing change. Um, And not change for change's sake, but change for growth and change for excellence, change to make yourself better. Um, Any organization that that gets to the point where, and they might not say they're settling, but where they settle and they go, we are good enough. We've got enough market cap. We've got enough people in our church. We've got enough, whatever it is, we are good enough. Uh, That is the beginning of the end for that organization because um, change is, it's vital to any organization uh, because culture, if we're gonna be honest, culture is constantly changing and and sociologists will tell you that culture is actually changing faster now than it ever has in previous years because of the interwebs and technology and we're more closely associated and language and all these kind of things. So generations have shrunk and things are changing fast. And so I think, I love this one, change before you have to. Um, and that goes back to when we were talking about managers and leaders too. Somebody said, 
something about seeing change, change and uh, seeing what needs to change and changing it. I don't remember who said it now. Maybe I just made that up. I might have blacked out. So change before you have to. Do anybody have any thoughts on that? Um, practical ideas for how to do that? Maybe examples of that in our culture? Yeah, go ahead. I don't know if any of you have seen the, the, the last blockbuster. Uh, it's a documentary. Yeah, about the yeah. last blockbuster. About the very last blockbuster, Washington? yeah. Uh, Oregon? One of those, yeah, yeah. yeah. But anyway, um, Blockbuster actually was ahead of Netflix, even in like the, you remember when Netflix mailed you the DVD? You remember that? So, yeah. So Blockbuster actually had better numbers than Netflix, but Netflix transitioned to streaming first, and that's what killed Blockbuster. They were actually bigger than Netflix at the time, but they didn't change quickly enough. Yeah. Uh, and so Netflix took over the world. Well, and, and this kind of goes back to that previous idea about seeing the world as it is, not as it was or how you wish it to be. But uh, I forget the CEO's name of Netflix. He, they were in financial trouble, and they were going to sell out to Blockbuster for $50 million. Yeah. And now Netflix is a billion-dollar company. Um, so, yeah, that's a great example. I love that one. That jogged my mind of another story. I yeah. think Kodak was one of the first Kodak. companies to develop the digital camera, but they yeah. buried it because they feared what it would do to film sales. So, yeah, yeah lots of great missed opportunity stories like that. Yeah, um, but you know what? Those hipsters are still holding on to their uh, their photograph, I mean, their actual you know non-digital photography, and so they've got their niche market for Kodak. Yeah, Kodak was the only name in cameras. I mean, really, as a kid, I don't remember any other camera, but we had a Kodak camera. I'm like shaking that picture. Yeah. I think there's a lot of lessons in history, uh, you know, old, older style business practices, things like that. Um, I think that we're moving away from a lot of them uh, with good reason, <laughs> but I also feel that there's value in understanding why they were successful in the past mm -hmm. and why, uh, why the change is happening. Yeah. Well, okay, so, um, you know, Netflix or Kodak or, you know, uh, IBM, Montgomery Ward. I mean, like, there's all kinds that we can go, oh, well, here's why they failed. And we can all go, oh, can you believe they failed? But, or we could look and go, well, what helped them get to where they were and what happened that they failed? And over and over and over, we see principles that are true. The application's a little different because it's different industries, all kinds of stuff. But there's principles that are true and there's things that they stopped doing. Um, and I think the common thread with all of them is they thought, they, they didn't see what was coming um, and they didn't change before they had to. Uh, Montgomery Ward made a huge play to, to move online. It was way too late. Like, they were, they were out of the game. Blockbuster, they, they made a play to try to catch up, and they couldn't by the time they realized they needed to. So over and over and over, we see this. Um, so let me ask you this. How do we keep from doing that? How do we keep our organizations or our teams or, or, or whatever it might be from, from changing too late? I think that one way is to be married to the goal and not the process. I think that we get so uh, attached to our processes because it's easier to generate the power of routine and habit if we attach to the process. Mm -hmm. And I, I'm not sure that there is a way to maintain the power of routine and habit while also being having a healthy uh, detachment from the process unless you have discipline. I think that discipline yeah. is the key because then you can move from routine to routine to routine, which would be predicated on the goal instead of the process itself. So if something changes yeah. and you need to change your process to get to the goal, like for instance, taking nice pictures could have been a good goal for Kodak. And so you, you can do that lots of different ways. You can do it with an iPhone now. You know, so there's different ways of getting to that goal. And if you keep the goal at the forefront, not the process, you can change much easier. But I don't think you can do that without discipline. Yeah. And, and I'll say this, some of you might agree with this, maybe not, and you can tell me I'm dumb if you'd like. Um, one of the hardest things to do as a leader is to kill something that you birthed. So when we came to Summit, there were a number of things we killed. It was easy to kill because I didn't birth them. It was somebody else's idea. It was like, we're not doing that anymore. That's a bad idea. 
But when the day came for me to recognize that some of my good ideas are now bad ideas, that was hard. Like I was, in, I was invested in those things emotionally and, um, and it was hard to kill those things. And, but I had to have, the, like you were saying, the objective in mind, okay, is this helping us get there? No, it's not, but it's still really good. Okay, but it needs to die. That was hard. And it would be easy not to do that and just to go, ah, oh, it won't hurt us, it'll be okay. And yeah, Sean. I think it's Craig Groeschel, but he says to regularly ask, what, what, what are we doing that has a lot of momentum? Mm-hmm. And then what should we kill to provide extra energy to that momentum? Yeah, that's Craig so, Rochelle. He's a smart guy. Yeah. yeah, if you guys don't listen to the Craig Rochelle Leadership Podcast, and I don't always, I'll listen to it from time to time. It's really good. So if you want to go deeper, um, and a lot of his stuff is church-based, but there's broad application. So Craig Rochelle, he leads, literally, it's the largest church in America. It's based out of Oklahoma City. And they've got about a hundred and, I don't know, 40,000 people on a weekend or something like that between their locations. So I also think one of the biggest enemies of success is success sometimes. So we have success doing something a certain way and we go, well, why would we change? We have, we've had success and we don't recognize that we need to because culture's changing and we don't recognize that. So we just go, yeah, we've had success. So why would we do anything different? And that's, that's problematic for all kinds of reasons. Yeah, I think it's also helpful to remember the why behind each process. So mm-hmm. you could, in the church world, for instance, say a church is planted 100 years ago and the leader comes in and establishes various processes for good reasons. He knows why they're there. And then, you know, he pastors, he moves on several generations later, the processes are still in place, but no one remembers why they're there. And so yep. they just say, well, we've always done it this way. Yep. And then you end up. So I think that a good way to check to see whether or not you are just stuck in a process and whether you're going to have a problem with changing is to ask yourself if you know why the processes are there. Are there. I heard a st- before you, uh, I heard a story one time and there was this newlywed, and she was going to uh, bake a ham for she and her husband. <clears throat> and um, she called her mom, and her mom gave her the instructions. Here's what you do. How's you do it? And you cut off this end, and you cut off this, and you bake it at this temperature, whatever. And she said, well, why do we cut the end off? And she said, oh, I don't know. My mom did that. And she said, okay. Um, so she called her grandma and said, grandma, why do we cut the ends off the ham? Whenever we bake it, she said, oh, I don't know why you did it, but my pan wouldn't fit. It wouldn't fit my pan, so I'd have to cut off the ends. Um, and so, yeah, it goes back to what you are just yeah. saying. Sometimes we don't even know why we're doing what we're doing. We just do it because we've always done it. And sometimes we don't have to cut the end off the ham. We just need to, yeah. yeah. Yusuf. Okay. I was looking uh, in relation to business. You do research markets. You also... Be flexible, not rigid mm-hmm. to your strategies. Uh, the word would be maybe understanding the trends mm-hmm. ahead of time. Say, okay, for example, plastic cups. Originally, I'll give an example. People use plastic cups and they were on trend, you know. All of a sudden, no one uses plastic cups. Do you still have to produce plastic cups? What do people use ahead of time and think? So trend mm-hmm. and then being flexible. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's really hard. Uh, I'm not a futurist. Like, and when I say futurist, I mean it in the purest sense. Like you mentioned Elon Musk. That dude is a futurist. He sees things that I can't even imagine how we would get there or why we would need to get there. Um, and it's important to have people, not, maybe not like Elon Musk, but it's important to have people in your life that maybe can see some things down the road that you can't. And, and it's important for us to be humble enough to listen to those people instead of just thinking we're the experts. So, okay, change before you have to. Last one, coming down the home stretch. Number six, if you don't have a competitive advantage, don't compete. There were a number of things that Jack Welch did where they actually left certain segments or demographic, uh, several segments of the marketplace that they were underperforming and they realized we don't have a competitive advantage, so we're going to stop this product line. We're just going to end it. Uh, even though it produced some value, it, it, they didn't have an advantage, so they just said we're going to stop doing that because it doesn't help us 
move forward. Um, so what do you think about this, this idea, this principle, if you don't have a competitive advantage, don't compete? Christy. I see this all the time because I help companies with their social media. And mm -hmm. so I see them, um, you know, TikTok, for example, they're like, everybody's on TikTok. I need to go on TikTok. And then they do it and they have 90 followers and they're spending an hour every day trying to create content. And it's just pointless because you're not getting the views that you should be getting anyways. Yeah. So I don't really have advice, but I see this. Yeah. I think if you ignore it, you don't realize that an organization has things inside of it that are of limited resource, like ideas, people who can carry out new plans or people who can solve problems. So if the organization is tied up in a whole bunch of low value activities, all those resources are diverted to away from places that they could be better used. Mm -hmm. Well, and a few years ago, uh, Kim and Todd and I, we drove down to, uh, and I'm not going to say the name of the town, we drove down south uh, and consulted with a church who was struggling, and, uh, and today they're on the brink of closing their doors. They're struggling that badly now. So we drove down, we had a conversation with them, we gave them some feedback about some things, and they had lots of big issues. And they, need, they had a hole in their roof that they needed to fix, and they spent the insurance money on something else, on just operations. So they, their, their asset was depreciating because it had a hole in it, and it was getting worse, and they were just making bad choices. So they had some money set aside, and they could have fixed the roof, and their decision instead was to put a new sign out front. And I was like, why would you do that? because you haven't changed anything in your building. So, so you're gonna attract new people to come in and see how bad things are, right? And they're like, no, no, that's not the case. Things are good. And, and the, what they didn't realize is um, they were promoting something they weren't very good at. Um, like, it was just rough. They needed lots of help. But they thought, no, we got this. And they didn't realize what their advantage was. Their advantage was, man, you got 30 people coming on a Sunday morning. You got built-in community. And we can't do that at Summit like you do. You know, we've got an advantage because our church is bigger. You know, we got more resources. You've got an advantage because you got 30 people. The pastor can literally visit every single person an hour a day um, once, a, once a month if he wanted to, right? That's an advantage competitively, but they didn't see it like that. They, they thought we want to do this and we're, we're trying to, and so I think it's important for us to look at organizations, our teams, whatever it is, and realize, man, what are the things we're, we just can't compete with? Um, you know, this other organization. So why are we trying to? You know, we're never gonna have 80,000 followers on TikTok. So why are we trying? Uh, let's abandon that strategy and put our energy where it needs to be. And let's highlight what makes us strong instead of trying to play the game that our competitors are playing. Does that make sense? But some, our pride doesn't wanna let us do that a, a lot of times. Yeah, Bob. I think it's really challenging for a small organization to do both five and six. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, TikTok might have been that new trend mm -hmm. uh, that they were trying to adapt to, but realizing they didn't do it very well. Yeah. And I, you know, when you have a larger organization, you have more um, staff, more people who have expertise in those areas. But when you're a small organization, mm -hmm. I think you have to be really careful about what you're buying into because you might not be able to do it very well. Yeah. And especially at the rate of change, uh, especially technology-wise, uh, the rate of change is just so fast these days. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think you're right. And I think some of these are easier to do than others, for sure. Okay, if you don't have a competitive advantage, don't compete. We've got about two minutes till we're technically done. And uh, is the stream going to end at eight? Michael, does the stream, stream end at eight? We can end it whenever we need to. It, it's extended to go all the way till like Okay, eight. so here's what I'm going to do then. Well, I don't, I'm, I'm going to pray and close this out. And if those of you that are watching online want to 
log off, that's great. And we're gonna continue to have a dialogue and just talk a little bit longer, those of you that want to. And those of you that are ready to leave, you can take off. So let me pray and, uh, and we'll wrap up. Lord, thanks so much for the time we've had together. I pray that, um, that, that each of us would have gotten at least one nugget, one thing that maybe we could apply or take with us to work or to our team to help us get better and help our teams get better. So Lord, I just pray that you would develop our leadership and if there are things we need to change, things in our heart, things in our personality, things in our discipline that needs to shift, shift it so that we can become the leaders that, that we need to be. So God, thank you for what you're doing and uh, thank you for the people that were here. Thank you for the people that are watching online and I pray your blessing on them. In your name we pray, amen.